Welcome, Deep Seekers, to Episode 8. I'm Sean O'Callaghan. This is the Deep Seeker Podcast. Our guest on this episode is Matt Williams. Matt is the owner and head coach of Bones Mixed Martial Arts and traditional Thai kickboxing gym here in Torquay, Victoria, Australia. Originally from New Zealand, Matt found his place working with youth who were disengaged with mainstream education, involved in child protection services, youth justice, and community organisations, and heading up an organisation that he founded in 2017 called the Chin Up Project. Matt, thanks for your time and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sean. A pleasure to be here, mate. All right. Hey, um, Matt, so just to recap for everyone, so the gym that you've got here in Torquay, I know you're extremely passionate about, and it's been a, a great journey for you having the gym and also being so heavily involved in community, which I know you value enormously. Um, before we get to that side of things, just a bit of background. So you're, you're from New Zealand um, and from a, 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 what would you say, sort of a knockabout upbringing and, um, and then found yourself in Australia. What was it like early days for you that sort of shaped your characteristics and traits early on and no doubt, you know, littered with wins and also some pitfalls too, no doubt, as all, we all faced. But um, Auckland, I think it was, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm originally from Tauranga, New Zealand, uh, Mount Monganui, which is you know similar in a lot of respects to uh, to Torquay and the Surf Coast in terms of its you know it's a it's a small beachside community uh, with, with a kind of a small town vibe. I grew up there, um, but did you know most of my growing up in Auckland um, in the eastern suburbs of Auckland. Um, you know, it's uh, Auckland's a a big city, I guess, um, until you get out into the big wide world and realize it's fairly minuscule, but it's, uh, it's got a real small town vibe It's you know, especially the suburb that I grew up in. Um, there was, uh, there's a lot of cultural and environmental cycles that are quite hard to break free of. Um, you, you, you know, everybody and everybody knows you and, and your business uh, and habitual cycles that um, that that play out intergenerationally. I think it would be fair to say, um, you know, growing up there, uh, I really struggled to see myself in the mainstream and what popular culture had afforded us. You know, the All Blacks and so on and so forth, uh, and that is was fairly limiting and, and suffocating, I guess. Um, you know, the I think it would be fair to say for me as well as many of my peers, you know, we uh, kind of looked out elsewhere for, you know, for role models and, you know, figures of masculinity. And uh, in that, I think we found some traps as, you know, many of the guys who were surrounded by in our neck of the woods, they, the, you know, the figures of prestige, they weren't role modeling the best behaviors. And I think that led down some, some dark paths and created some issues, but, you know, in the long run, these are many of the the mistakes and the learnings that I'm grateful for because they've shaped me who I, you know, shaped who I am as a man now. And they're now with the benefit of having those experiences, I can help others with uh, with the learnings from them. And so, the you found yourself in a situation, whether it was, um, you know, to come to Australia, was that kind of like a reactive decision at the time? Do you think you were 
seeking you know the bigger wider world where you're, where you're moving away from something you where you're moving towards something or you're just you know, stepping into risk and stepping into the unknown can you kind of are you aware of your consciousness around that decision at that time yeah i can remember the you know i've been here for 14 years now but you know i can still remember the emotions of that time i just felt really suffocated by you know what you know the the lack of opportunity or the perceived lack of opportunity i guess um you know, a lot of uh, my peers were getting in serious trouble and I was certainly on the fringes of that. You know, I had um, some pretty toxic relationships around us um, and just kind of was really conscious of the fact that something needed to change. Um, I, was, I was with my son the other day at the uh, playground in Torquay and I was talking to him about how, uh, you know, how different playground toys and fixtures used to be when I was growing up in the nineties and I was telling her about the, those steel roundabouts that you hop on and you spin them and they create all that kind of centripetal force. That's the word around the outside and you just kind of hanging on, try not to let go. And about how often it would be like, you know, the neighborhood bully or the older kids that were spinning the younger kids around on that for a bit of a laugh. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, at the time when I was getting ready to leave New Zealand, I kind of felt like I was on one of those, you know, if you, uh, you, you don't want to let go because you know, you're scared of what's on, on the other side, you know, you're going to hit the rocks and go for a bit of a tumble. Um, sometimes the easiest things to do is just to hang on tight. Um, but, you know, me and my little brother, we decided to pack some suitcases and we sold our vehicles and, Melbourne at the time, I'm pretty sure was the cheapest ticket. And that's why we chose to come here. We didn't you know, have any existing social connections here or any, you know, jobs lined up. We just kind of took the plunge. Did you, um, and I guess, you know, pretty good analogy. Those things were just leg breakers, weren't they? Those roundabout things. They were, <laughs> mate, you just, I don't, I think they're completely decommissioned across the entire country of Australia or both countries, Australia and New Zealand. I think the insurers were troubled by those ones, but um Mate, the, and then like just if you did a bit of a sliding doors moment and you look back home and, and not, you know, positively or negatively, but could you see looking back now that it was just like it was just going to stagnation there and, and that sort of fueled that move to want to move and expand and grow? Because you, you're, you're quite an aware person. Like, you know, did it just have a sense of it was just holding on too tight? It was just cut the tires, get out and grow? Um, yeah, I... I... I think over time I've developed the, you know, the emotional intelligence to look back and with, with, with you know, put the distance, you know, with the advantage of perspective and, and distance to be able to look and go, you know, maybe that was what was happening for me. But I think at the time, um, you know, I, I was probably living more day to day and just, you know, so caught up in the moment and just, you know, worrying about where the next dollar was going to come from and, you know, you know, looking over my shoulder that um, I think I just, uh, in, in, in some senses, just had to kind of run away from that situation. Um, I, I wasn't too concerned or aware of, uh, you know, opportunities that would lead to growth. So I think it was fairly reactionary, um, but in retrospect was probably the best thing I could have done. And so when you arrived in Australia, would there be events that occurred, um, you know, serendipitous moments or people that stepped in, 
you know, some people might say the universe, you know, there's just that, that bigger power at force that just enabled you to see a pathway or, or you're still in the same, that kind of mindset. Did, where did, where did the growth start to kick in for you? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, that decision I made to come to Australia was a huge, um, was a huge step in terms of breaking those environmental cycles The you know, just being caught up in the, you know, what was happening in the, in the, in the neighborhood. Um, but I still brought my habits with me <laughs> and, um, you know, those habits weren't conducive with, with change as yet. Um, that was a long, slow, uh, process, but, um, to answer your question, I was working uh, a couple of jobs. I was working, uh, in a motocross factory in North Melbourne. Uh, and on the weekends I was doing some bouncer work, uh, in the, in the city at a Barkle. Cabana Lounge. I think it's got a different name now, but there was this uh, old girl in the warehouse, and she was really cool. She was kind of like the matriarch of the, you know, the the lunchtime milk crate smoko crew, and um, you know, it was just wise in a way. Uh, and me and her really got on. Um, she mentioned to me that there was a job going at the Youth Justice Centre, a youth worker role. So Youth Justice then looked quite different than it does now. It was run by Department of Health and Human Services. And she said, oh, you'd be really good at that work. Um, she had a nephew that worked there. And, you know, at the time I was like, man, what the hell do I have to offer these kids? Like I can't even get my own stuff straight, let alone, you know, I'm just the guy who's working in a factory and just felt like I was kind of treading water still and went to this job and, you know, my aesthetic I thought would be, you know, the biggest kind of um, barrier to me getting a job, you know, a job there. I've got the most clean cut image. I've got tattoos on my face and didn't think, you know, I'd be kind of what they were looking for. I went to this interview and was just very honest and frank. And to my surprise, I got the job. Um, I think, you know, now what I know of youth justice, I think they just really need people that were, um, you know, thick skinned enough to work there. And they probably thought I had thick skin, but regardless, they gave me a set of keys. Um, that moment of kind of, of, you know, the real pivotal moment, real transformational moment for me came within the first week. And I was working in the Raman Center there. Um, and at the time it had 12 beds and had 24 young people in it. So they were sleeping. Uh, this is uh, pre the ombudsman becoming involved. They had, you know, two kids sleeping on the floor on a mattress and a kid on a bed and kids sleeping in an isolation cell. So it was a real horrible place to be, especially for a young person. How old were these kids? Uh, these kids were aged between 16 and 21. Um, and, and so it, when you say remand, does that mean that they committed crimes of some description or? Yeah, they, they were uh, had allegedly committed a crime and were waiting uh uh, the the process to determine whether or not they were guilty or not guilty, and then go on to sentencing. Um, there's those birds, Matt. Yeah, yeah, that's it, bro. That's there's the birds. I'm out, I'm outside at the moment. It's a bit of a jungle out here. Um, and there was this kid down in uh, one of the wings of the Raman unit, and the staff were really struggling to deal with this kid. Like he was, um, you know, destroying a lot of properties, being exceptionally violent, and. They were all super scared of him, but it was, you know, for me, it was, um, I guess it was, I was pretty well equipped to, you know, deal with conflict like that. And it didn't phase me too much. And I went down and I sat down with him in his, um, his bedroom and had a chat to him. And 
you know, the transformational moment for me was when I, when he started telling me his story, I realized that, you know, it was almost exactly the same as mine, like a circumstance, you know, circumstances and situational um, factors were different, but you know, the emotions and stuff that he was experiencing, I could really relate to. So in that moment, I was probably the perfect person to offer him advice, retrospective of my own ver- uh, journey. And when you, sorry, Matt, when you say emotions, what was he, what would those emotions have been for him? What, what shaped him to be, you know, I guess that disenfranchised with everything and, and take that, take that path of, as you said, sort of destructive path. What, like, is it sort of that abandonment? Like what, what shaped him in that the well, emotions think, and so on? I think disenfranchised is a great word. You know, like he, um, as a young person didn't feel part of, um, you know, part of the community he didn't see uh, see him a future for himself he was incredibly you know angry um, and was just you know caught up in those cycles that you know I kind of made my way away from um, and, you know when I when I provided him some of that uh, some advice and I can't remember to what effect it was but it you know really hit home with him and and you know calm the situation and the staff were you know came around me like oh that was amazing what did you say I was like man I just just talked to the kid and I think that was probably the first time that I realized that you know uh, my past and who I was a person had currency and value and in the world and and you know from that that was kind of a real starting point for from for my growth as a person and you know, starting to define my purpose and, and kind of hone my skills in that area. And would you say just after all of those experiences, no doubt you encountered, you know, there would have been loads of relationships with different kids and um, was, is there kind of commonalities with, with the kids that were just, um, that, that were in that environment? Are there things that you see that translate from, say, what those kids are confronting and how they felt? Um you know, to what held them there and what stopped them there and what, what, you know, what, what, what enables someone to get out of that space? Yeah, I think there's a couple, you know, there's a couple of factors that I think really need to start falling into place for a young person to make, you know, significant change. Um, And it's easier said than done. I think, uh, a lot, a lot of the young men, in particular, they uh, were really struggling to recognise who they are and what their identity is, and they're padding it out with, you know, you, you know, lack of understanding in that space, a lack of probably, um, you know, mature masculine wisdom around them was um, meaning that they're padding it out with other things, kind of less pro-social things, you know, being a, a tough guy or being a gangster or, you know being a dangerous person, like padding themselves out with, you know, those bits of armor probably gave them some strength and, you know, were survival mechanisms to some extent, but probably always ended up, you know, leading to, um, towards making poor decisions, um, uh, you know, a, a lack of purpose. So, uh, you know, being unemployable and, um, you know, not, not doing well at school, uh, you know, being disenfranchised from um, society in general, you know, that that uh, has a lot of um, 
shortcomings in terms of growing as a man. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of transferables between the experiences of young people in Australia and those in New Zealand. Do you think, uh, like, say, for example, now where you are with the role that you've got um, with the gym and, uh, of course, taking those experiences, not only the youth experiences you had personally, but then working with, you know, I'm sure hundreds of kids over that journey um, through the system and then starting the gym, how do you how do you find now, like, this is a very different place, Torquay, the socioeconomic space that we're in here is a bit different. It's probably upper upper middle, um, you know, it's in that sort of zone, but they're the same sort of, because I see it as, my thing is kind of rite of passage, you know, like when does a boy become a man and when, you know, when does that point where the group go, hey, mate, like, son, we, you're a man now, we expect more from you. There's not really that transition in society. And do you see the gym hold some sort of currency in relation to that transition from boyhood to, to manhood? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I'll, totally agree it's um it's for lack of a rites of passage and you know western culture that a lot of young people kind of never really become a man you know there's grown ass men walking around everywhere who are essentially um you know acting out in a lot of you know boyish behaviors and um i think a gym can really serve as that you know what you have in a gym is a is a, essentially a, a small tribe you know, it's a cross-section of community. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, you got older guys in there mixing with young men. You've got uh, older women in there mixing with young girls and everyone's kind of chucked in the mix. And, you know, your average gym's probably got, you know, 100, 150 members, which I think is there a number, Dunbar's number, which, you know, that's kind of the ideal amount of relationships human beings should be managing socially. And, you know, it kind of comes from our tribal roots and, you know, if you talk about a young man in the gym, the, the types of lessons that they can learn around, you know, their own capacity for for violence, they kind of translate to their understanding of their own morality, like their capacity for good and for bad. Um, you know, and, you know, there's also a lot of lessons around vulnerability in a gym and they're incredibly useful for a young person. You know, we have... I had some conversations the other day with a young man coming into one of his first fights. And, you know, I think it was a real eye opener for him, just me, you know, relating my own experiences of, you know, experiencing fear and anxiety before a fight and, you know, explaining that those are normal. And I think, you know, for that young man, it's probably the first time that he kind of had permission to talk in that way. Mm. Um, and, you know, these are all the kind of mature masculine wisdoms that I think would be instilled in a rites of passage. So, yeah, I think a gym can really be a form, forum for a lot of becomings and, and you know, po- you know, positive change in general. And I guess there's also that other part where, <clears throat> you know, which we're seeing more and more now is, you know, for girls, you know, that, that side of it as well is growing. And I know your wife, Lani, she's, you know, again, people would sort of look up to her as well. She, she confronts, looks to me from the outside she um confronts risk and confronts the uncomfortable and jumps in the ring and um you know she had a fight i think it was due for saturday was it this recently and then that naturally would have got cancelled with the situation we're confronted with but you know she and you together i guess there's the dual um aspect of both you know boys and girls and girls were never really part of that you know part of the gym culture years ago particularly um you know contact sports yeah, yeah, it's uh, 
it's it's still something that um, you know we're looking to break stigmas down around, and I think having someone like like her in the gym is a is a great example of um, you know how they don't serve us anymore those <laughs> those old um, kind of cultural handcuffs, and you know I, I know that for a fact that there's a lot of young women in the in the gym that draw inspiration you know from from her and how she conducts herself in that space um and you know and young men too i find it incredibly inspiring um you know i think uh yeah i i i'm always looking for ways to get more more uh young women involved uh and but that's made so much easier by having people like lani around to you know kind of be a shining light of what's um, able to be achieved if you if you get in there and, and stick at it so if you if you thought of um let's say for example the benefit that it has teenagers and i'm i'm particularly interested in you know myself just that transition from teen to adult and the lack of guidance that goes with that um the benefit for teenagers let's say coming through the gym those that might be disengaged or they don't have the ability to be able to talk and communicate and connect to people inside their own family the gym offers that the positivity that you've seen come from that can you think of any say case studies where might have been a kid that came in and then you've seen them grow and develop and become something that they they you know they've they've aspired to well they might not have consciously aspired to do it but they've they've changed um, from who they were when they entered to who they are now Oh yeah, man. This it, like it, it. So many examples. Um, I think you know this could probably best explored through and in parallel with kind of how the gym came to be. Um, you know, when we moved to Torquay, we didn't intend to come here and open up a gym. That wasn't that wasn't on the cards. Like we, you know, I was running Chin Up Project, and um, Lani's got a you know a successful business up in Melbourne. Like we we. We actually went to the local high school to Surf Coast Secondary and we're extremely passionate about martial arts and Muay Thai. So we started running a free program there on uh, Friday afternoon with uh, a guy called Mark Philippot, who you know many of the no- locals would know. Um, and it was open to young people uh, who were engaged with the wellbeing department at the school. And there was, you know, I think we, you know, can consistently would have you know, three, four, five kids along, but there's one kid come along every week um, and showed, you know, r- real interest in what we were doing and who we were as people. Um, and his engagement at school started to, to change. Um, he, you know, he uh, certainly on a Friday, <laughs> you know, he'd turn up on a Friday if we were going to be there at the end of the day, but he had really been struggling to, engaged with school at that time um and when me and Lani decided to open a open the gym he was there every day kind of helping us put it together you know he helped paint the joint you know he helped me kind of you know set up the ring so he was very much involved in the process of you know the 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 conjuring of the idea as well as the the building of the physical space and um along with the gym he's grown and you know developed uh in many ways you know you know he's he's 19 now so he's you know grown as a man and i think you know the gym community has certainly shaped um 
how he's grown. Uh, he's employed by the gym now too. So I, th- I think he'd be a, a really good example of how martial arts can have an impact. He's, you know, found real purpose with us. Um, the, the connections he's developed socially are, um, uh, are healthy ones. And, you know, he's also challenged on his bullshit too. So he's held accountable for, for being a good person. And, and, you know, when he's not at training, he's held accountable for not being there. And I think those are really healthy things that a gym can, um, healthy ways the gym can serve a young person. So here's an example of, uh, you know, many young people that have grown alongside a gym like ours. Mm. And so the value chain that you guys run with up there, I mean, you know, you've sort of touched on it, but, you know, some of the accountability measures you've just mentioned. So when you say called on their bullshit, which we all have excuses, we all lie to ourselves, we're, um, you know, we're busy looking for comfort, aren't we? Looking for comfortable. So when, when it's time to call it out, how do you go about it? Yeah, I, when I was working Youth Justice, there was a guy, uh, he's, he's since passed on now, he's an older guy called Tavy Collins. And um, he said something to me once and it really stuck with me. And it's kind of been a philosophy that I'm guided by to a large extent, certainly around situations like this. And that's without conflict, there can't be change. And that, that now drives me in terms of that's my motivation for you know, going and take it, tackling those conversations when they need to be had, um, you know, especially when they're uncomfortable. Cause I know that on the other side of that, there's, there, you know, there's room for change. Um, and I think the job of a, a trainer or a coach isn't to be a cheerleader at like, there's certainly a time for that, but the job is to coach and to, um, and, you know, be, a be a forum for improvement and and to encourage that um the ring is a is probably my favorite place to have those discussions i think not in terms of physically but i think the ring is symbolic of many things right like uh it's symbolic of uncomfortability and getting in there and um you know on that hopping over the ropes is an old colloquialism that probably makes sense to a lot of people but so is having someone in your corner. Um, so I, I, I like to hop in there with a young person or, or anybody when I need to have a conversation or sit on the edge of it. Uh, and while that's, you know, might be, um, you know, might be not something that I speak to, I think, you know, the symbology is, um, is a powerful one and allows me to have a lot of conversations in there. Um, you know, a lot, sometimes I think, you know, a pad session or a training session is the best way to break down a lot of the barriers around, you know, tricky conversations and, you know, opening people up too, um, which is in many ways the reason I got into, uh, like, kind of stepped out of the mainstream youth workspace and into the gym because I feel that it's such a better forum to, you know, have conversations with young people and to get through to them. Um, And, yeah, it just breaks down so much of the ice around, you know, the meaningful stuff in life. And so now you've got a good crew around you as well. Naturally, the it's not one-dimensionally. It's not just about you and Lani. There's, a, you know, from the outside looking in, not that um, I know them personally, but from the outside looking in, it looks like you've got some good people around you as well. Yeah. And, you know, the, the aim was always to build a community, a small community that would, 
uh, serve the broader community. And, it, you know, me and Lani see ourselves as, as a small part of that community. We're, 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 we're gathering people around us who, uh, who add to the gym in their own way, um, but also so those people can kind of learn and grow alongside of us. Um, I, I think, and I mentioned earlier, I think purpose is a really important uh, component of living a healthy and happy life. But I think to even more important extent, having a shared purpose with other people is something that, you know, is critical to happiness. And, you know, I certainly share a purpose with all those who we've brought along with us. Uh, many of them are a lot younger than us um, and who first came to us as students. And, you know, when I recognize, you know, potential in those, uh, in those people and, um, you know, a, a willingness and a want to uh, kind of work with others and help build others up. I like to afford them the opportunity if I can, if it's available. Awesome. And so the, for you guys going forward from here, what does it, what does it look like for yourself, Lani, Bones, the gym, um, projects on the go at the moment? What, what does all that look like for you guys? What are you working on? Yeah, I think uh, it's really hard not to just go, uh, to go, you know, the next thing is to get a bigger gym and, you know, work an extra floor on it and then a mezzanine on top of that and, and to grow it bigger and make it shinier and better. And that, that's a, a real temptation. Um, but I'm also conscious of the fact I don't want to dilute what we have and what makes it, uh, what makes it a special place. And I think that is the relationships and knowing everybody and knowing everybody's name and having it as a more intimate affair. Um, so in terms of what the future holds for it, I, I, I'm not sure that involves making it bigger and better and shinier, I think, um, improving our internal processes and building our coaches and building our people. We've got a really, um, we've got a really active fight team. So I think we've got seven professionals now with uh, the year before uh, we had the big lockdown. So our first year we had 26 fights out of the gym, which is a lot for a, you know, even for some of the big gyms, so we're incredibly active and I really want to work on getting some of those guys and girls fighting internationally when the borders open up. Um, we're looking to, I really want to celebrate what we're doing locally. I think it's high time that the Surf Coast had its own fight show and fight promotion, um, you know, as much for the community and so they can see what we're doing, but, you know, for, for the for the participants, for the for the athletes who are training, they never get to fight at home. You know, we're always traveling up to Gold Coast or Adelaide or, you know, Melbourne every weekend. And I think, you know, the, I know what the community is like. The community gets behind its own. And, you know, I think people, you know, the businesses, the, um, you know, the parents, the friends of will really have a good time. And, and I want to showcase how good these folks are getting. So that's something that's on the cards. Um, I think there's probably a need to be a, little bit risk adverse at the moment with all the fight shows getting down. Okay. What happened over the weekend, but um, yeah, we're going to launch that sooner than soon. Exciting. Awesome. Um, and so as far as from here, Matt, what I'll, what I'll do for anyone that's interested, I'll provide the details of your gym website, uh, your con or at least the um, Insta handle, Instagram handle and so forth. So if anyone wants to get in touch, they can. Um, but mate, thank you. I appreciate your time and, especially being so candid about 
um, you know, what you value in relation to the growth of the community, what's important for, for kids to grow as well and being someone that people can look to for a bit of um, a bit of guidance and support in that community, mate. So thank you for that. And appreciate very welcome. your time. Yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah, very welcome. Awesome, mate. No worries. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Matt, and um, we'll see you soon. Cheers, bro. Good on you. Thanks.